Hello, and welcome to this Solace Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solacechurch.com. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 says this. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is punny, in case you didn't know. All right, verse 20. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other fishing brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father. They were mending their nets. He called them, and immediately, just like Simon and Andrew, they left their boat. This is kind of messed up. And their father. (laughs) See, Dad. And followed him. This is the word of God, to which we say, thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for the gift of your word this morning. Thank you for the light that it is um, to bring clarity where things may be muddied, to bring guidance where we may need direction. Uh, God, to bring uh, Jesus into the picture where we may be distracted. And so we we thank you for the gift of your word and, and just this gathering here and Lord, it's, um, it's really an, an impossible and overwhelming thing uh, for me to get up here and open my mouth and teach in a way that's actually helpful and significant. I feel so powerless uh, on my own, and yet I feel so excited um, for what you want to say. And so it's just in that tension that I come to you and ask that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit. And gifts me with all that I need to just be effective in this moment. Um, get as much of me that's needed out of the way so that we can hear from you. And so I just invite you to do that, God. I invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us now. We're here for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to begin with a question as we've come into 2021. I think this is certainly relevant to 2020. But... We're just here in church on a Sunday morning. It's important to not just come and listen. Uh, It's important to make sure that we're here taking a moment to think and think through some important things in our life. And uh, let me give you a question to help you do that. This morning, I want to ask you this question. We're going to get super meta real quick, okay? What moments have defined your life? What moments have defined your life? your life. Uh, That might be almost like too big picture to where you're like, where could I even start? But I just want you for a second to think about who you are right now in this moment and the fact that there are a series of defining moments that have led to the point that you are at right now. Certain key and defining moments. I'd say it would be healthy a healthy thing, any good healthy individual should probably be able to look back on their past and not have this sort of blind eye to what's occurred, but uh, an open awareness. I'd say there's health to having this open awareness to the key things, whether good or bad, that have played a significant role in who you are today. And I'm sure we could just kind of go around one by one and share some of the defining moments and like the most defining moments, like when you first met them kind of a thing, right? Uh, when you first welcomed that child, uh, when you first left or started that job, right? (laughs) Those can both be defining. Uh, Whatever it may be, there's defining moments that shape our course in life. I think if Simon Peter, Andrew, James and John were here, I think what they would do is point here to Matthew chapter 4 as maybe the most, one of the most defining moments in their life. Now, this isn't the first time that Jesus had his interaction with these young fishermen, nor is it the first time that there was some kind of invitation to follow him. When you read the Gospel of John, there's another significant moment where Jesus um, is interacting with these same fishermen, and he gives them some sort of like invitation to follow him. But here in Matthew, what you have is like the official call to discipleship. 
There's another moment in Mark that describes another step, which is like they're appointing as apostles. But here in, in, in Matthew, you have this significant moment where the disciples are now going to leave behind their past career at this point to take up this mantle of discipleship to Jesus. Talk about a defining moment. First, defining because of what it would lead to for the disciples. I mean, think about uh, what they, you know, they had probably had no idea what they were getting into. They were just so captivated by this man, Jesus, this rabbi, this teacher, that they were willing to immediately, that's the key word, like immediately drop what they had been doing for years under their father's leadership to follow after Jesus. Uh, they had no idea what they were getting into. Uh, this, this, this savior, this God in the flesh, what they would go on to see and see him do. Talk about defining moment. You know, when you think about what the disciples ended up accomplishing as fishers of men compared to just fishermen, this is a defining moment. I mean, they went from just your average neighbor, blue-collar worker to a part of this small squad of people that have changed history. Defining moment. More than that, it was through this defining moment that the disciples would reach their end in a way they probably didn't expect. Now through leaving behind this past career to follow Jesus, well, each of their own lives ended in martyrdom. It ended in giving up their life for their resurrected Savior that they were not going to deny that they saw after he died that he was Lord. So a defining moment. Now there's so much I think that I could get into in this um, uh, the call to discipleship, the, the response that we have to when Jesus gives us that invitation. I'm sure we could spend a little time talking about their poor little dad left on the boat. Like, hey, kids, where are you going, right? Like, there's a lot that we can get into here. Uh, but this morning, what I want to zero in on is how the call that Jesus gives these disciples, it is attached to a promise. It's there in verse 19 where Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is an interesting uh, concept. It's certainly cool because Jesus uses where they're at and says, okay, you, you, you think that career and, and, and that purpose is what life is all about? Well, I got something even better than that for you. I'm going to make you fishers of men. But the thing I want to really zero in on is this promise of Jesus giving them a vision for how he's going to shape them. He says, follow me and I will make you. You see, the call was to follow, but the promise was to shape. This promise that says, you follow me and watch how I form you. And if you read the account of Jesus' relationship with these disciples, you see this long process of Jesus being faithful to do this despite the disciples' stubbornness. It's just this process of Jesus leading them, transforming them, uh, doing what we would call spiritual formation. That's what Jesus invites them into. He says, follow me, and as you follow me, here's my vision, here's my goal for you. My goal for you is to transform who you are. At one point, he said to Peter, you are Simon, but you shall be Cephas. This is who you are, but this is who I'm making you to be. It's the same invitation that Jesus gives every one of us. We come to Jesus, broken as we are, in this good news that he accepts us and he's come for broken people like you and me. Isn't that good? Jesus didn't come, the Bible says, for the, for the, for the well, for the healthy. Jesus came for the sick, humans. <laughs> he comes for us and, and he, he accepts us and welcomes us as we are with all the needs that we have. And then he promises as we follow him, he saves us. And as we follow him, he promises to transform us, to produce this thing again called spiritual formation. And if there's anyone that kind of encourages us in this process, it's certainly going to be this guy, Peter, right? I mean, he's one of the four that are called into the spiritual formation process. And I don't know, I, I definitely relate most to him. Uh, most of the Bible was written by Paul, and I love Paul. And there's moments where I read Paul, and I like, I get that. Like, Paul's grasp on the gospel, Paul's grasp on the Christian life, it's so compelling, it's so applicable. But sometimes I look at Paul, and I'm like, he's like, follow me as I follow Christ. And I'm like, Paul, I don't know if I can do that. 
Like, I look at Paul, and I'm like, I think at one point he's like, um, I have a weakness. It's a thorn in my flesh. He doesn't really name it, but he's like, it's just a messenger from Satan. That's my weakness, this thing that's shown up in my life. It's like, you have a weakness. That must be nice, okay? I've got, uh, I've got a few, all right? And I don't know if they just come from Satan. I think they come from me, too, you know? So you look at Paul, and you're like, this is a powerhouse. This guy, I mean, I aspire to be like Paul, but I don't know if I relate to Paul as much as I relate to a guy like Peter. For the most part, Paul has his struggles, but he's pretty steady. Peter? We're talking Peter here, okay? We're talking practice, all right? Like, Peter, this is a guy who is, like, up and down all around. One moment, you have this interesting kind of um, a storyline with Peter having these, like, successes and failures back-to-back all the time. I don't know if you can relate to that. We're like, you either hit the bullseye or you miss the target altogether. That's my life, okay? And Peter, at one point, he goes, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus is like, man, you are of the Spirit, Peter. And Jesus is like, yes. And also, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die for your sins. And Peter's like, Jesus, I'm of the Spirit now. Let me tell you something. Nope, it's not going to happen. Far be it from you, Lord. And Jesus goes, well, now, Peter, you're of the devil. And so here's a problem we have here, okay? He literally says that. Get behind me, Satan. So Peter goes from, like, being of the Spirit to being of the devil in the same conversation. There's another moment where uh, Peter... Uh, he, he's, he's filled with great zeal, and he says to the Lord, listen, all these people, this is what Peter says, imagine the pride, they're all going to leave you, Jesus, except for me. I will, I will die with you. I will cut a guy's ear off to save your life, all right? Like maybe he's actually afraid of, I don't know if he missed, who knows, but you get the idea. Like that's Peter's zeal and his passion. Jesus says, no, 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 Peter. Um, your zeal is, is not the whole truth about you because your character at the end of the day is going to fall short of that and you are going to deny me you're going to even curse me to a little girl who asks if you're one of my disciples up and down up and down and then you have peter at pentecost right man empowered with the spirit people will say it's a different peter he goes from denying jesus to a little girl to standing up to a crowd of thousands empowered by the Spirit. He's preaching the gospel. I mean, come on, we know that whenever you have the Holy Ghost, you're different, right? Like, you don't ever go back to the old ways. You don't ever struggle anymore until, well, Peter. It's a few years later that he is falling back into prejudice, racism, and he's confronted by Peter, uh, by Paul. Uh, Paul confronts him to his face, is what Paul says in Galatians, that I stood up, got all up in Peter's face. I was like, hey, you're being a racist, Peter. I mean, that's literally Galatians. And, and so you have, listen, in Peter, you have this incredibly um, hopeful example that God can change you. Right? That God really does have the power to form us from glory to glory, from step to step, from success to failure. This is what Jesus, listen, invites us all into. He makes this promise over our lives follow me and I will make you. And that's not dependent upon how good or bad you are, that's not dependent on how shapeable you are. It's dependent on my power and my ability to transform a life, to take a fisherman who had all these ups and downs who eventually would be crucified upside down next to his wife. Talk about devotion to the cause, devotion to Christ. This is where he ended up. And this is the promise he makes to all of us. I'm using this word spiritual formation a lot. I want to give you some scriptural uh, backing of it and then maybe a few definitions, okay? So Romans 8, 28, uh, let's get some biblical context around this, spiritual formation, Romans 8.28 says that we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God. And it's, it's kind of funny. The verse says, like, you know, we all know this. <laughs> and we all know. Like, we all know this verse. Isn't that funny? We all know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. A lot of people miss the next verse, which is what this verse sets up. Those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined those whom he's called. Notice this phrase, to be conformed to the image of of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So this is our calling. This this is what God has done. He has saved us, and he has this purpose for us to conform us. That's the word there, spiritual formation, to change our form to, to match that 
of Jesus's. And here's another reference. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is uh, probably one of my, my, my favorites in this concept. It's talking about the experience we have with God through the gospel, through Christ, and how that sort of contrasts with Moses going up the mountain, having to wear this veil. And Paul says today there's people that still have kind of a veil on their heart that keeps them from seeing the beauty of God. It keeps them from, from accepting and appreciating the grace of God. But he says we, as those who have been saved, we have an unveiled face, beholding it as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And look at this good news. And we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And, of course, the key word here is transformed. In the Greek, uh, it's this word. You ready? Metamorphi. Metamorphi, which is the, the, the Greek derivative where we get the word metamorphosis. Okay? It, it speaks of this complete transformation. As we're beholding who God is, by his spirit, he is transforming, changing the elements, the, the character of who we are. It's a, it's a metamorphosis. I think of... I think of butterflies. I was like, how confidently should I say that? I do, though. I think of them all the time, butterflies. No, I'm serious. Um, and I'll tell you why. My wife is a butterfly queen. You could say she's a butterfly whisperer. She, she, and they come around. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we have this little butterfly garden in our backyard where we, we have all of the, um, what's it called? Milkweed. Thanks, Lee Bronco. We, Lee and Angela are actually responsible for getting this into our, our family. But, but we have a whole butterfly area. And right now, if you go over, there's, there's, there's like countless amounts of these fat little hungry, hungry caterpillars. And every morning, first thing Brittany does when she wakes up, she get, you know, grabs the kids, they go outside, they check on the metamorphosis. And it's actually a phenomenal, refreshing thing. Like sometimes the danger we have in our cultures, we're so locked in by natural light, you know what I'm saying, fluorescent, like brick and mortar buildings that we kind of get disconnected from God's creation, which can bring a lot of like encouragement to life like just try this get off social media and go, just go spend some time in nature and just see what happens to your soul it's amazing what happens out there and, and just watching the the process it's remarkable how God designed this thing where a caterpillar it starts it's this little egg it's so tiny then you watch the metamorphosis it goes into the chrysalis it's not a cocoon okay it's a chrysalis and then it becomes this glorious beautiful Butterfly. I could do a whole sermon on caterpillars becoming butterflies. Did you know where their wings come from? Butterfly wings are the caterpillar's crystallized dung. That'll preach. God takes your poop and makes you beautiful, right? <laughs> All the junk in our lives. You feel me? Come on. Sermon title right there. Caterpillar poop beauty. Um, <laughs> It's this incredible metamorphosis to watch. It's a listen, it's a complete transformation to think that it goes from that to that. And if that's wonderful, if that's glorious, how, fen how phenomenal, how glorious is it for God to take someone and transform them into the image of Jesus? How remarkable is it that God can take a Peter and transform his life to become that which reflects Jesus. It's the same idea. It's this metamorphosis. It's spiritual formation. It's what Jesus here is inviting the disciples into. Follow me. Follow me. Come be my disciple. Come apprentice under me, and I promise I'm going to transform you. I'm going to change you. See, salvation, it's been well said, salvation through uh, the, the finished work of Christ on the cross is the means through which we are saved from the penalty of our sin. And that is done once and for all. Jesus said it is finished because it is. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You are redeemed. You are saved. But now as you are walking with Jesus as his disciple, there's this thing called sanctification. Where you're being saved from the power of sin in your life. You're being transformed from glory to glory. Uh, just a couple things I want to point out about this. Um, no, notice the idea that it's from glory to glory. It's a, it's a process, right? Uh, it's not an overnight thing. Okay, change and transformation, this is really important for all you new, new Year resoluters. 
Uh, true change and true transformation doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time. It's a process. It's glory to glory. Well, I tried, you know, reading my Bible and praying a couple, for a couple weeks. Listen, that's, this is, this is uh, the Christian faith has been, uh, I think, rightly called. At the end of the day, the Christian faith is long obedience in the same direction. I'm just committing to the way of Jesus because he's committed to me. And so it's an, it's an overtime process of transformation. Um, but notice also, it's from glory to glory. It's progressional. Peter's a great example of that. It's not just from success, success, that's the proper word, success, success. It's not from that to that. It's from glory to glory. It's even from sometimes failure to failure. Did you know that your own failure is a part of your sanctification? Did you know that your own weakness is a part of you becoming more dependent upon God and his spirit? So it's this progressional process. Uh, let me give a couple quotes that I think can help frame this a little bit more. Dallas Willard, who's kind of like the forefront thought leader uh, about this stuff, he wrote a great book called Renovation of the Heart that really gets into the, the details of this. Here's what Dallas Willard says about spiritual formation. He says, spiritual formation in the tradition of Jesus Christ is the process of transformation of the inmost dimension of the human being, the heart, which is the same as the spirit or the will. It is being formed, really transformed, in such a way that its natural expression comes to be the deeds of Christ done in the power of Christ. Imagine that as God's vision for your life. To transform, listen, not just your holy religious behavior that man looks on at, but God is looking on at your heart. And his vision for your life is to transform even the most inmost being of your person so that you come to be this expression in your actions of the deeds of Christ done in the power of Christ. Uh, here is my attempt at a definition, all right? So here's what we're going to land on for our church. This is what we mean with all of that scripture, with all of those quotes. Um, I want to give you what I think is the most thorough definition of what this pillar uh, sort of summarizes, uh, this pillar, spiritual formation, what, what it summarizes here and all that we've said, we'll say it this way. It's the lifelong and progressive work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer to transform their inward character and outward actions into the very image of Christ himself as they apprentice in discipleship under him. So again, it's lifelong, it's over time, not overnight. It's progressive, it's glory to glory. Just like Peter, we see that in his life. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's something that God does as a miracle. It's a metamorphosis that God does in the Spirit. And it's, notice this, it's both your inward character and your outward actions. And I think a lot of times we kind of lean on one or the other. Like we say, like, God isn't concerned. We, we, we obviously know that God isn't just concerned with our actions, like what we do if our heart is far from what we're doing. Like God is not just concerned with us doing good things, but he's also concerned with why we do them. Uh, you read in 1 Corinthians 13, you have like this great list of Jesus' actions that aren't even done in love. And Paul's like, it's worthless. Like if, you're not, if the inward motive is not love, then the outward action. So you need the heart behind the action, but you need the action to flow out of the heart. That's another, I think, like big thing today is like, you know, God knows my heart. It's like, well, I don't. I see your actions. You know what I mean? And, and your, your coworkers, they see what you're doing. And, and so if Jesus teaches us anything, it's that what you do matters. It's, Jesus says it's your fruit, right? It, it reveals who you really are. And so Jesus has come, listen, to transform both of these realities by his spirit. To transform our inward character, who we really are, and our outward actions, that which flows from who we really are. Both our deeds and our speech done, notice this again, um, into the image of Christ. Really important. Now, I want to point out this other idea that we see here in our main text. And it's kind of how both of these formed and follow concepts kind of play in different orders. The first thing which we just looked at is this idea that Jesus says, follow me and I'll form you. And that's one way to think about it. We just talked about that. Come to Jesus and he will form you. But there's another way to read this that says, I will form you if you follow me, right? Or I will form you as you follow me. See, even right now, today in this moment, each of us are being formed. Uh, spiritual formation uh, isn't optional. It's inevitable. 
Every person in this room um, is becoming someone. There's a certain life template with worldviews and ideas and, and belief systems and perspectives that are forming who you are, that's, that's shaping who you are. It's informing your decisions. It's informing your responsibilities. It's informing your relationships. Your spiritual formation is inevitable. The question isn't if you are being formed. It's by what and into who. By what? What's the template? And into who? Who are you being made to be? And, and if you can't answer that question for yourself, it's, that's why it's important to have community. I'm thankful for the people in my life that have been like, hey, you're becoming this person. You've had anybody like that? Like, hey, I love you, and this, it's not who I like, know you to be, and nor do I think it's who God wants you to be. I love you enough. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to love you and say who you're becoming is, is I don't think who God wants you to be. I'm thankful for people in my life that have been able to say that. So spiritual formation, it's inevitable. So, so notice Jesus kind of pointed to this and saying, listen, you can be formed by your career disciples. You can just keep on being fishermen. Or you can follow me. You can be formed by me. It's this sort of deliberate response to the invitation saying, Jesus, I want you to form me. And I want, I want you to notice that um, that sort of idea of like mutual, that kind of like mutual work where it's both the work of the Spirit, because that's the mystery. It is a work of the Spirit. It's a miracle of the Spirit. We read in 2 Corinthians that it's just as by the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit of God that actually performs that miracle. But it, it's not something that's done while we sit back passively. There is a change that we have to make. There is a direction we go in life. It's a mutual work. It's both Jesus and me. And let me show you where I see this. I just showed you 2 Corinthians 3, 18, which says that, like, it's happening. Like, if you're in Christ, good news for you and me, God is transforming you. It's what he's up to. Even right now, if you're like, no, God, God gave up on me. No, he's, right now, he's trans whatever you're going through is a part of this, right? It's something he's always doing. He's always shaping us. So here, you get this real implication. That's why it's important, by the way, to read the whole Bible. It's a big book. Read the whole thing. It's great, all right? When you read the whole thing, you get verses like this in a proper context. 2 Corinthians says that we're being transformed by the Spirit of God. But the same author, Paul, he speaks out of the same mouth in Romans chapter 12, and he says this, do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see this? In 2 Corinthians 3, it's a promise. In Romans 12, it's a command. Isn't that interesting? You're being transformed. Then Paul says, be transformed. You're like, I thought I'm being transformed. You are. Now be transformed. Which is it? Yes. All right? It's like, help a brother out, Paul. You know, what Paul's doing is he's giving us a more, listen, a more robust vision for how spiritual formation plays out. It is both a work of the Spirit, but if you go back to our definition, it's a work that he does in our lives as we apprentice in discipleship under him. We're formed as we follow. Jesus says, follow me and I'll shape you, but I, I, listen, I can't shape you if you're not following me, because whatever you're following is going to be shaping you, okay? Now, discipleship is a word that I love and hate. Um, I think I, I love it for all that I think Scripture leads it to mean, and I also struggle with it because of how often it's overused and misused. It's kind of like, in some of my church backgrounds, it's kind of just like a word used for doing Jesus things. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, so I'm a youth pastor, and it's like, okay, I got to spend time with kids, discipleship, like, let's go to the skate park, you know, like, that's a way that I can pour into you, you know, by showing you up, you know, and like, I'm going to take them to the skate park, and, and it's like, what were you doing? It's like, oh, just some discipleship, you know, it's like, just kickflips and discipleship, you know, like, I mean, it, it's kind of can be this word that you just throw over everything, and, and listen, not that it can't mean helping people follow Jesus in a general way. But in that culture, uh, discipleship, it had a real, like, assumed understanding to it. This occurrence that we read about in Matthew, it wasn't this, like, out-of-left-field thing. For a rabbi to come to some potential students and invite them to be his disciple. That, that was prevalent, not just in Jewish culture, but it comes from the tradition of Greek culture. 
Aristotle and Plato and Socrates. It was this, this, this template of learning in life that even the Jewish rabbis adopted, that Jesus himself adopted. And so when the disciples hear Jesus say, come follow me, it wasn't like this weird thing, like why are they leaving their dad in a boat and like going after this, this like healer man? What's going on? No, it's like they understood that this was an opportunity to be a disciple of Rabbi Jesus. And I'm sure they felt a bit honored, I mean, to say the least. In that culture, man, to, to be called by a rabbi to be a disciple was such a high honor. It usually came to those that were at the top of the class, the spiritual valedictorians of the temple. And a rabbi would see your hard work. He'd see that you're learning. He'd see that you're skillful in the Torah. And he'd say, come follow me. I will teach you the ways of the force. You know, like that's the idea. And so for these disciples, they knew exactly what they were get, getting into. They got to become a disciple of Jesus. It's the same invitation that we have all received. Now, notice up there I use the word apprentice. Discipleship means to apprentice under Jesus. That is a much better word, I think, in our culture to understand what that means. Uh, to, to, to be a disciple of someone, the word disciple literally means learner. It means that you apprentice under them. How many of you guys in this room, I'm curious, have had like an internship apprenticeship before? So I want you to think about that context. Most every hand eventually went up, right? Like it's the context of you coming under someone to be in relationship with them, for them to rub off on you, for their wisdom to pour into your life so that you could adopt their way. You're an apprentice, okay? Um, that could be a triggering word in this culture. Let's move on from that, okay? Here's what apprenticeship looked like, okay? Discipleship to Jesus, and this is what it looks like for us today. Um, you're going to want to write these down as sort of like, sort of down as like the main ideas, the big points of what it actually means for us today to follow this invitation. Uh, this is the context that spiritual formation happens. When Jesus says, follow me and I will make you, what he's inviting us to do is um, not to be lazy with who we're becoming, but to be conscious about who we're becoming and to be active to prioritize our lives as disciples around these three goals. To be apprentices of Jesus, to be disciples of Jesus doesn't mean that you prayed a prayer, doesn't mean that you went to church. To actually answer that call looks like these three things. This is how you can identify whether you're a disciple. And I just have to make a comment about this because today, one of my biggest pet peeves, just a quick rant for you, thank you, sorry. All right, a quick rant about being a disciple today. Like, I was raised in the church to think that a disciple was like a higher class Christian. Like, okay, you're a believer, but are you a disciple? Have you gotten there? Have you served enough hours in the church? You know what I mean? Oh, you haven't been in the kids' ministry yet? Not a disciple, just a believer, okay? That was a plug. Um, but, and it can be like this Navy SEAL thing, right? Like, they're disciples. And can I tell you, like when you look at the disciples that Jesus called, they don't match that description. They're a hot mess. Right? A, a disciple is someone who's following Jesus. It's a Christian. The question isn't, are you a disciple? It's, are you following Jesus? Are you actually living in your discipleship as he's saved you and called you to that? Being with Jesus, learning from Jesus, and walking like Jesus. This is uh, the template that, that Jesus gives for us. Um, sort of like, I, don't, I mean, I guess a way to think about this is like, this is how we change. This is how God changes us. We see this template even in the Gospel of Matthew from Jesus' famous invitation to rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 29, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor. And are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. you got to read. I wish I had it here. The message translation of this is really beautiful. The poetry it uses to, to express this incredible inf uh, invitation to, the, to, the, to those that are burnt out on religion. Like, I'm just tired. And I, but I don't have a home. Like I, but I, I have a heart for God. Like, what? Jesus is like... You can find your home in me. Come to me. What an invitation. And, and you even see within this verse alone, you see that framework of discipleship. First, you see the first one being with Jesus. Come to me. Before Christianity is something you do, it's someone you're with. 
We've been saved to know God, to walk with Jesus. He says, come to me. Come have a relationship with me. It's being with him. It's, notice this too, it's learning from him. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. It's, it's letting Jesus' truth inform me in my life. It's being a student to learn and be open to his word and his way. And, and it's important to see this, that the phrase there, take my yoke upon you, uh, it was an idiom in that culture that described a rabbi's set of teachings. So if, if a rabbi was doing a preaching circuit and he was coming to your town, and so we got Rabbi Jesus coming to Boca this weekend, and he's going to be at Temple Solace. He's going to come up in this place. He's going to preach his yoke. Like we come to hear his yoke. So, so uh, the yoke of Jesus would be the Sermon on the Mount. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, you have the teachings of Jesus, the, the, the way of Jesus. But it was a, meant to be a word picture of how um, we can actually not just learn the, the teachings of Jesus, but as we walk with him and we put his way into practice, we actually find the rest we're looking for. And, and this is kind of one of the things that Mark, uh, John Mark Comer alludes to in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, this danger today for Jesus to just be the truth and the life. But for a lot of Christians, we've lost Jesus as the way. Like the way of Jesus, living in the way of Jesus, walking in the way of Jesus. Uh, and that's the idea of a yoke. You know the picture there of two oxen, ox, two oxes, an oxen, exes, ox, a bunch of them. Those two guys, they, you'd have an older one and you'd have a, a younger one that was finding his way, one who has found his way, and they would yoke their, their, their necks together and they would keep that, that immature ox next to that mature one. And just by being in his yoke, eventually he would start to walk and not lead the, the path astray. He would, he would start to walk in the way of the older oxen. That's what Jesus is saying. Come live in my way and be formed by me. Being with Jesus, learning from Jesus, and becoming like Jesus, or walking like Jesus. Um, if I could just give you some practical application, um, I'm not going to go through each of these as an individual point. I probably could in a part two. But can I just give you some concepts to help you flesh out what this looks like? And really what I mean by this when I talk about this framework in our church. Um, first, when we talk about being with Jesus, write this idea down of being with Jesus. We're talking about prayerful intimacy. Prayerful intimacy, being with Jesus. Um, a lot of us have our own understandings of what prayer is, what prayer is supposed to do. and We've done a whole series on prayer, teach us to pray. We looked at the Lord's Prayer, and there's just so much to prayer. But, but the first thing that we need to understand prayer to be is uh, this idea of accessing what I believe about God. Uh, so, so if scripture tells me that he's with me, prayer is this relationship in faith with his presence. And, and it's knowing God and being known by him. That's being with him. This is what Jesus invites his disciples into. When you read Mark chapter 3 and Jesus calls his disciples, the first thing that he called them to, this is really interesting. It's Mark three fourteen. It says that he appointed the 12. Notice this, that they might be what? With him. This we see not just for the disciples, but we see Jesus model this in relationship with his Father, that this withness, this connection to God in prayer, this intimate, God, you know me, I'm being known by you, I'm not hiding a thing because you, you see everything, and this pressing into in communication with my Father, a relationship with his presence, we see this as the very source of Jesus' life, and he teaches his disciples that it has to be the same for them, prayerful intimacy, being with Jesus. And I just want to say that if we're going to be with Jesus, can I just point this out? We, we have to go where he is. We have to go where he is. What do you mean? I thought Jesus is here. And, and it's true. Uh, there, there's certainly a part of this to where we, we walk with Jesus and we pray with Jesus. But you know what Jesus taught about the Father? He taught about relationship. He said, when you pray, go into your room, when you've shut the door, Pray to your Father. Notice where he is. Who's in the secret place? That's where he is. And the Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. This is what prayerful intimacy looks like. It looks like a rhythm where you are in intimate fellowship with your Father. It's just you and him. And that is the first step of discipleship. What I love about the disciples is something really interesting in Acts. Uh, it says about the disciples, what a cool thing to be said about us. It says that, 
Oh, that's not the verse. It's all good. Good thing I memorized the whole Bible. I can just tell it to you. Um, just kidding. Um, I don't know what the reference is, but there's a reference in Acts that, that says that the disciples, they were like revolutionizing the towns that they were in. They were transforming the world around them. And people were looking on at them like, how, who are these guys? Like, and it says that they perceived that they were uh, untrained and uneducated men. Like, they didn't go through the formal religious process to become you know, spiritual giants. But, but the one characteristic that they concluded was, it literally says this in Acts, it says that they looked on and they, they could tell that these disciples had been with Jesus. Imagine that. Imagine there being evidence in your life to being with Jesus. Isn't that cool? It's like, who, you've been with Jesus today? Like, I could tell you've been with Jesus today. Now, we don't, we don't like do that so that people can notice. Like, can you tell I've been with Jesus today? Like, you can tell. It's not, obviously not the point. It's to boast in that. But such an important part, man, being with him. That's prayerful intimacy. Learning from Jesus. You can write this down. Biblical clarity. Biblical clarity. That's learning from Jesus. Um, this was a, another big part of discipleship. Learning from Jesus. Learning from his teaching. Learning from his way. Um. Biblical clarity, you know, uh, it's Matthew 5. Jesus, it tells us, went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and then the intro to the Sermon on the Mount says this, that he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, this was Jesus' relationship with his disciples. Following him looked like being with him in relationship, and then learning from his teaching, receiving his yoke. And, and when you get into the Sermon on the Mount, this teaching that Jesus gives, it, it's really particular um, to notice that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it, it, it's not just like this revolutionary, out of right field teaching. It's not like Jesus shows up and disregards the Bible. And he's like, listen, God's word, it's antiquated. It's, it's, it's all the issues that culture has with it. So let's throw it out. We need new teaching. And a lot of people look at the Sermon on the Mount where it's like isolated outside of Scripture, like it's its own teaching. But when you read the Sermon on the Mount, what you see is this phrase used over and over again as the disciples are learning from Jesus. It's this phrase, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Have you seen this? In fact, in chapter 5, it's used six separate times. So Jesus will say this phrase, you have heard it said. In other words, this is the common understanding about who God is and what he said. But I say to you, in other words, here's the clarity. Here's the truth of God's word. Here's what that really means. And that's what God wants to give us as his disciples, man. Where religion and sin may muddy the waters of what's true, Jesus comes on the scene and he says, listen, there's a lot of things being said. But listen to what I have to say. Listen to what I have to say to you. Can I tell you why? Because, listen, what you believe about life, what you believe about God is shaping you. It's forming you. What is God like? What does God say? Have you noticed this? Have you noticed how, how a lot of times God can look a lot like us? It's amazing how God makes us in his image. What's the saying? And us, mankind being a gentleman, we return the favor. Let me kind of shape God to be how I think he should. And so, listen, those belief systems, I can even start to shape my view of God. And Jesus says, no, 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 I've come to bring biblical clarity. The idea here is having a relationship with God's word. Hiding God's word in your heart. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. It's being shaped by God's word. You've got to have a relationship with God's presence. You've got to have a relationship with God's word. It's how we're formed what you believe about yourself in life. And then that last one, I'll close with this last one, invite our band to come up. That last one there is walking like Jesus. Walking like Jesus. So we're shaped by being with him in prayer. We're also formed by the biblical clarity that he gives us, helping us understand all of life through the gift of his word. Jesus teaches the scriptures in a way that brings clarity in, in a world of a lot of different voices and opinions. It's so healthy to have a posture in your life where you're turning down the noise. You know the noise? The noise of culture, the noise of your own mind. 
That's the loudest speaker in my house that I struggle to turn down. I got a bunch of speakers. I don't know how to work them sometimes. This one's the worst. It's like, how do I disconnect the Bluetooth here? You know, like I want to stop. Like, how do I just get into a posture that says, Jesus, I'm here. Speak to me. I'm listening. Learning from him. We're shaped by that. And lastly, walking like Jesus. That last point, uh, you can write it down this way. Walking like Jesus is empowered practicality. Write that down. Empowered practicality. Um, this is why Jesus wants to teach us his word and his way. In fact, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus, he, he explains the importance of not just knowledge, but actual practice. Uh, you, you guys know this verse, right? At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does all this great teaching, and he says, therefore, in light of all that I've said, light, light of all that I've taught you, you have, you have biblical clarity now, great, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So Jesus is like, listen, my word is not coming to you for information. My truth is coming to you for spiritual formation. For, for you to actually put it into practice, to live in my way. All that I've taught you, all that you've learned about me. So, so if, if God has showed you what, what he says about relationships, it's practicing his way in relationships, practicing his way in marriage, practicing his way in parenting. It's practicing his way in stewardship, in anger, in lust, in your trials. Are you practicing his way? In your prayer life, do you think about this idea? This is how we're formed, by practices. Each of us are the byproduct of certain rhythms and habits and practices in life. And it's shaping who you are and who you're becoming. And I just love this, like, especially what I was saying earlier about, like, I've, I've been in enough environments where, like, I just don't want to learn another thing. I've just, there's so much to know, and that can be so overwhelming. And if you're here and you're like, half the time you, you go, I come to church and I don't get it because there's, like, these big words and they're, I'm like a three-syllable guy and, like, Andrew needs to chill. Like, listen. Jesus simplifies it. He's like, listen, I'm not most honored by the most knowledgeable in the room. If you want to please me, if you want to honor me, just practice what you know. That's, that's it. Well, God, I need a new revelation. Did you put into practice the last one, right? Just live in my way. I love this definition. Look at this, this definition of practicality. This is, if you Google, that's my dictionary these days. I just Google practicality. Here's one of the definitions of practicality. I love this. The aspects of a situation that involve the actual doing or experience of something rather than theories or ideas. And how much can the Christian faith, how much can following Jesus just be theories and ideas? Jesus says, no, no, no. Put my sayings, put my teachings into practice. You're formed and you're shaped by them. But I love this. I love that I mentioned this. I mentioned it's empowered practice. Jesus doesn't just tell me to practice his way. See, these disciples that he spoke this to, he told them that they need to go wait for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God was going to be the very power through which they would be able to do what God was calling them to do. So, so this is important. Don't hear this to say, I got to try harder. I got to work more. I got, you know, I think I can reach down a little deeper and be a little better. No, what all of us need through a reminder like this is, God, I need more of you. I, I've tried to practice the faith in my own way. But why would I even aim to practice the teachings of Jesus in my own strength when Jesus promises me his Holy Spirit? who is to be the very power of God, to live in the way of Jesus. This is what Paul says in Philippians. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, I love this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for it, but work it out. Practice it. I love this. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do 
for his good pleasure. A relationship with God's word, a relationship with God's presence, and a relationship with God's spirit. This is the framework for formation. Uh, There's a a little caveat here that says that we got to do this together, and that'll be next week. But for now, I want to invite us to stand. And what we want to end with is I just want to pray over us. We're going to cut out the song. We're going to just have a prayer here. I just want to pray over us. Just a blessing as you go into your week. Whatever your faith has become, whatever your proximity to Jesus, like right now, whatever your relationship to those three things. I don't know your relationship with God's presence. He does. You do. I don't know your relationship with God's word. If God's word's a little dusty, or maybe it's a little scary, or maybe it's like you're not sure how to approach it. Um, I, I don't know if your relationship with God's spirit is like lost. Maybe you feel like I've been trying to do this on my own and I just need a little bit more. What I want to pray for you is that you would simplify right now your whole faith into this one invitation. Jesus says this, follow me. Just come follow me. As you follow me, here's my promise. I'm going to make you. I'm going to shape you. I'm going to do the good work that I promised to do from the beginning. I'm going to bring it to completion. Would you just receive this? Father, I just pray over this group here. This this church community that's gathered here this morning. Here we are, Jesus, thousands of years after these words were, were first spoken. Thousands of years after you first came into this world and And we know, God, that this time is worthwhile because you're alive. And that same invitation that went to these first disciples is over our lives today. And we just ask, God, for it to be the loudest call in our lives. There are just so many other things, both internally and externally, calling for our discipleship. Seeking to form us and shape us. But Jesus, no one... No one is better at being our rabbi. No one has the power to transform our lives like you. So we just ask God that you would help us follow you. And and, and really, that we would really do it. That we would prioritize being with you, learning from you, walking like you by your spirit. We invite you to do that work in our lives. We thank you, Jesus, for the cross which is the good news of what you have done to save us from our sin. Jesus, you took that sin for us so that today we can be your disciples and get our eyes off our sin and fix them on you. I pray that over this group this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out solaschurch.com.